Let's uh, read from Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 22. Uh, now, while it's written to Israel, it has a direct application to us. Please read along the words so that you see exactly what God's word says to us. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offsprings after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskins of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords and great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Amen. Thanks, John. As we um, look into God's word now, let's spend a moment in prayer. Let's join. Father, uh, another marvel that you have done for us. You have taken your word and written it down, preserved it through all history so that we could read it and know you better. Teach us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Tay-Tay, uh, for those who don't know, that's uh, Taylor Swift, okay. Tay-Tay <clears throat> just recently received an honorary doctorate in fine arts from New York University. Taylor spoke as part of the uh, university's commencement exercise and Taylor had a few words for her fellow graduates. She said, not a single one of us here today has done it alone. We are each a patchwork quilt of those who have loved us those who have believed in our futures, those who showed us empathy and kindness or told us the truth even when it wasn't easy to hear. And later on she said, I'd like to thank NYU for making me technically, on paper at least, a doctor. 
Not the type of doctor you'd want around in case of an emergency, unless your specific emergency was that you desperately needed to hear a song with a catchy hook and an intensely cathartic bridge section. Or if your emergency was that you needed a person who can name over 50 breeds of cats in one minute. Hmm. Now, now like most artists, Taylor has a string of love songs. Things like The Joker and the Queen or Willow and Red. And, and Taylor has a number of breakup songs. Songs with titles like Picture to Burn. I'll let you imagine the words that go with those songs. Uh, or Dear John. And then, of course, there is We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. <laughs> Though usually, I've got to say, it's the country and western folk who do breakups the best. I mean, who could forget achy, breaky heart? I, mean, I just had to say that, didn't I? Hey, um, or, or what about Ain't No Sunshine? Go your own way. I will survive. I will always love you, Janet Jackson. And who could ever forget breaking up is hard to do. You know, when someone you love breaks up with you, sometimes they say, it's not you, it's me. Josh actually wanted to deliver that line here this morning, but I got to do it. Next time, Josh, next time. Only this time I'm going to say, those lines are being used in a love song not a breakup song. I love you, even though you're no different to everyone else, even though you're just the same as the rest, the Lord is saying, I love you. And it's not about you, it's all about me. And that's what the Lord is saying here to Israel, in these chapters. We're in Deuteronomy, we're chapters 9 to 11 this morning, and the Lord is declaring his love for them. They're even setting up house together. It's not a house in the middle of the street, but it's a land in the middle of all the other nations, with Africa to the south, Europe to the east and north and west, and in the middle of the peoples like the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephamites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. It's a lot, isn't there? The Moabites and the Philistines. The Lord is saying, I love you. Here's a land. Let's get married. Let's move in together. Say yes. Please, say yes to the covenant. And no, it's not about you. It's all about me. You're no different to these other people, but I've chosen to love you. So no, no, it's not you. 
it's me. So far in Deuteronomy, the Lord through Moses has been explaining the covenant that the Lord has made with Israel. A covenant built on promises. The Lord has promised Abraham and his family that they would be numerous. And they are. They're like the stars in the sky. The Lord had promised that they'd have a good land to live in. And they'd live good lives in, those land, in that land. They didn't have the land though. And that wasn't because the Lord didn't keep his promise. They didn't have the land because they didn't trust the Lord and disobeyed him. Many times, actually. It took 40 years for the Lord's love to win them over. The Lord endured the same punishment with Israel. He wandered with them for 40 years in the wilderness. And in 40 years he provided for them food and water and protection. He gave them examples. They won small battles so that Israel would learn to trust the Lord and to obey him. And here they are. Moses is pointing to the good land. It's just over the river there. It's the promised land. It's good and peaceful. It's a fruitful land. You'll have a fruitful life there if Israel would only be wise and love the Lord. When the Lord spoke to Israel, there was no form for them to see. And we learned that you didn't find God by looking for him with your eyes. You didn't find God by searching with your feelings. You found God by listening to him. Don't imagine what God is like. Listen to the Lord describe himself. God speaks and hears and sees and smells and tastes. He's living and he gives life. And that's what the Ten Commandments were all about. Because the Lord has saved them, then love God. Love your neighbour. Live the good life. And Moses, he further explains to Israel that the Lord is their deity. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone is our God. Israel doesn't have multiple gods. Israel should love the Lord with all their heart. Be loyal to the Lord from their innermost self and their soul, their, their very life and all their might, all of their resources and energy and possessions. <clears throat> and sadly, I'm going to say, the Lord or has already warned Israel that their heart actually isn't true. It was back in chapter 5, verse 29. After the Lord had rescued Israel and given them the Ten Commandments, and after Israel had actually said they would listen and they would obey, and the Lord says they've spoken rightly. Yes, they, they should listen, they should obey. They've said the right thing, but their heart, 
Uh, I think the Lord shook his head. He, he actually said, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always. But it wasn't to be true. And so here we are. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And the first thing the Lord does is really hard. The Lord tells Israel they've got a heart problem. The Lord's not setting out to make the Israelites feel bad. The Lord wants the Israelites to hold on to the truth about the love the Lord has for them. Uh, get your Bibles, look at it. Pick it up, start at chapter 9. Get the drift. Moses calls all Israel together and he says, Hey, put your listening ears on. Listen up. It's time to go just as the Lord has said. Yes, they're big people over there. Yes, they've got fortified cities. Yes, it's intimidating. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Here... O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in and to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? But it doesn't matter, you see. Israel needs to know. Israel should know by now that the Lord has promised the land to them. And the Lord keeps his promises. The Lord loves them. Besides, the Lord is the one who's actually fighting and the sons of Anak can't stand before the Lord. Verse 3. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you is a consuming fire, is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and sub subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. The battle is the Lord's. He will be victorious. There's no question about that. But now the Lord turns to the issue of their heart. You know, when we do something great, we often congratulate ourselves. Oh, I worked hard for this promotion, you know. But look at what Moses says to the Israelites here. They aren't the ones who are driving out the evil nations. And no, the Lord isn't doing this because you're just so good. This isn't about you, you see. This is about the Lord. Besides, you're actually not good yourselves. And so do not, verse 4, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations 
that the Lord is driving them out before you. And in case they really don't get the hint, look at verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart, but because of two things. First, it's because of the wickedness of these nations and because the Lord is keeping his promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In your heart, he's saying, don't be self-righteous, don't be proud. You don't deserve or earn or even merit this promised land. In fact, you're very unrighteous. Your heart is stubbornly unrighteous. Verse 6, know this, never forget it. Know, therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Now, most people I know are pretty good at self-justification. And I'm certain that's exactly what Israel was doing as Moses was talking. And so Moses gives them a few examples in the rest of chapter 9. In fact, these examples spill over into chapter 10. And we're going to skim through them because they're all actually summed up in verse 7. Have a look. Verse 7. Don't drift off on me now, says Moses. Don't defend yourself. Remember what you do. You provoke the Lord to anger, and you have been rebellious. Remember, you actually do this regularly, not just once off. Verse 7. Remember. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. They did it. They provoked him. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place. <laughs> For more than 40 years they've been doing it. You have been rebellious against the Lord. Way back, even at the mountain of God, way back, even at Horeb, verse 8, you provoked the Lord to wrath. He was angry enough to destroy you. Remember? Remember what happened when I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of the covenant? Moses spent a month, a month and a half with the Lord. Forty days. And then in verse 12, the Lord sends Moses down quickly from the mountain. Why? Because the people of Israel have acted corruptly. They have abandoned the path of the commandments that they already have. They made a metal image and said, this is your God. I mean, how disrespectful, how untrue that a lump of metal could represent the living, breathing, seeing, hearing, smelling, talking God. Such deceit. 
Israel's not righteous. And sadly, I'm going to say, the Lord, while talking to Moses, calls the people your people. They seem to have stopped being God's people. They're no longer, as far as God is concerned, my people. And again, in verse 13, the Lord says to Moses, you're stubborn. I can see the Lord here reaching for Tay-Tays. We're never, ever getting back together. I mean, look at verse 14. It starts with, let me alone. Go away. Leave me alone. And it, look, it's really not just that they're, well, not righteous. So you see verse 16. They had sinned against the Lord. The Israelites had broken the covenant by making that golden calf and calling it their God. And so Moses tears up the contract. Moses breaks the tablets of the covenant. You've got to say the Israelites are in trouble. They're in so much trouble. They couldn't help themselves. They had no righteousness. And so Moses had to step in and petition the Lord on their behalf. Moses even had to pray for Aaron. They couldn't do it. And if that example doesn't convince the Israelites of their unrighteousness, then they need to remember verse 22. And he just gives some names here. And we could spend ages, uh, things that happened at these places. Sad things. They're spelt out in Exodus and in Numbers. You can read the stories. Verse 22. At Terabah also, and at Massa, and at Kibroth, Hittavav, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And remember where we are today, he says in verse 23. You didn't believe the Lord or obey him. And so the verdict of Moses is given in verse 24. You're not righteous. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. My heart sinks at that stage. I guess their hearts would have sunk too. And then Moses actually returns to his prayer. Moses, you see, he'd stepped in as a mediator they couldn't do it themselves. Somebody else had to do it. Moses is the one. Moses helps Israel because Israel couldn't help themselves. You see, while Moses wants the Israelites to remember that they're saved and they're still sinners, Moses also pleaded that the Lord would remember. Interesting, that actually, verse 27. That the Lord would remember what he's done. 
He saved Israel out of Egypt. He's made promises. And he is a promise-keeping God. Verse 27, To remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Remember, Lord. Yes, they're not righteous, but you love them. You're a faithful God, even to an unfaithful people. And in chapter 10, we get the Lord's answer to Moses' prayer. Yes, the Lord is a promise-keeping God. Yes, the Lord is long-suffering. Yes, the Lord has great capacity to forgive. And so the covenant is renewed, it would seem. The Lord renews his love for his people to new tablets with the same words on them and we get and again we see it's all about what the Lord does it's not about you it's about me and so Israel a stubborn people who have no heart for the Lord who deserve to be punished but it instead are showing great mercy and grace and love and they get to live another day. And if the Lord is to renew his love for the people, then the people should renew their love for the Lord. Verse 12. Israel hasn't been destroyed, so what should Israel do? Well, Go back to what the covenant is all about. The Lord is loving them. The Lord is their God. And they should love the Lord. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To love him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good for your good Israel should fear the Lord respect him by walking in his ways Israel should love the Lord by serving him with all their heart and soul and in chapter 10, verses 12 through to 22, you get to see actually two hearts. I kind of wonder, have you ever wondered what's in the heart of God? You actually get to see that here. You get to see the heart of God and you get to see the right heart response the Israelites should have. What they should have. The heart of God, verse 15 this is what's in the heart of God a choice to love verse 15 yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them you above all peoples as it is this day there's the heart of God and the heart of the people verse 16 the people 
They needed to change their hearts. It's a command here. Moses commands the Israelites to circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Look, I'm going to skip ahead here. In fact, I want you to skip ahead with me. Flick a couple of pages. End of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. See, I'm going to say, Israelites, they could not circumcise their hearts. They were powerless. And so finally the Lord says, finally the Lord steps in. He does for them what they could not do for themselves. Chapter 30, verse 2. The Lord says, return to the Lord your God. If you would do that, if you would return to the Lord your God, then this is what the Lord will do. It's verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. He'll change their hearts. He'll work on the inside of them. He'll do what they couldn't do. This is a love relationship which is all about the Lord and what He'll do. He'll step in. He'll do what Israel, what us, what we can't do. He loves us, chooses us, and changes our hearts. Well, I've skipped ahead. Let's go back to chapter 11. We're going to go through this very quickly. Chapter 11 in Deuteronomy, verse 1. Moses summarizes again what Israel should do. Chapter 11, verse 1. They should love the Lord and obey him. And this love is because of the Lord saving them and giving them the promised land. I mean, what is there not to love? And Moses, he really says to them, meditate on this, think about it, consider. Chapter 11, verse 2. Consider today. Consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm. Consider how the Lord saved you from slavery in Egypt. Consider, verse 5, the provision of the Lord and his very presence with you in the wilderness. Consider the securing of my leadership, actually, he puts in here. Consider, verse 6, the Lord securing Moses as a mediator between God and you. When there were those who said, we should stop following Moses, that's the event he's referring to here. And the Lord swallowed up all of those dissenters. <laughs> that was a real blessing for the Israelites. I mean, think of where they would be if they didn't have that mediator at that time. Destroyed is where they would be. Verse 8, chapter 11. So keep the commandments and be strong and go in, take possession of the land. A land in verses 9 to 12, which is better than any retirement village you've ever seen advertised on TV. It's got it all. They will live well and long in the land if they have... Oh, look at that. There it is again. 
if they have heart and soul to love the Lord. And they'll be blessed. Their love will lead to obedience and they'll be blessed. But if, if they deceive themselves about the Lord, if they don't love the Lord and disobey the Lord, yes, they will be cursed. There are consequences for rejecting the Lord. Folk, look, as I'm, as I'm closing this morning, I, I'm hoping you can see so many things. I'm hoping that you can actually see where Jesus fits into all of this. You can see, or maybe you've even remembered things like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, or that there is none righteous, not even one. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Or, or you can remember the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 where, where Paul goes on to say, if there was anybody who could keep the law, it was me. But you know, not even I, not even I turn to the law. I'm not righteous either. I've grown up with all of this and I'm not righteous. You know, I abandon the righteousness that comes from the law. It's really very provocative what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about it as dung in the old King James. Rubbish and refuge is the sort of stuff that we translate it as these days. But the picture you need to have in mind about the righteousness that comes from the law, what it really means, it's no better than the stuff you flush down the toilet. That's how good it is. That's quite provocative, isn't it? But that's really what he says. Instead, where does he go to get his righteousness? Not himself, but to Jesus. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God doesn't come from us, comes from God and is by faith. It's not about me. In fact, it can't be. I'd mess it up. And I'm hoping that you can remember what um, you know, God has said. He sends his spirit to come in and change our hearts because that's what we need. We need a change of heart. We've been chosen by God. We actually need a mediator as well. That was Jesus. There is no other mediator between God and man but the Lord Jesus. Uh, there is so much that Deuteronomy here sets the groundwork for. And it all goes to Jesus. Titus. Ch Titus chapter 3. Think of the chapter 3s, Romans 3, Philippians 3, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 lists a whole bunch of sins and then says, He saved us. He saved us. He does it. 
and then says, because we're saved, let's live that good life, you know? Let's live godly lives and righteous lives, but not depending on ourselves, because the Spirit is working in us. It's not about me. It's about God. Look, as we finish, remember, the Lord, the Lord is great. He's great in love. He's great in forgiveness. And, you know, as a church, we're trying to be mature people. We, we need to remember that. But as mature people, we need to remember our own unrighteousness. And as mature people... We need to see the Lord's love and his faithfulness. This is not a license to sin. May I sin more, but grace may be more shown. May it never be. We need to live as if God was living through us because that's really what he's doing. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's be mature. Let's not use God's love or his faithfulness or his grace or his mercy as a license to sin. Let's live those godly lives. Let me pray.